0: You are listening to Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and on the web at weru.org. Listener-supported and volunteer-powered, a voice of many voices. Talk is up next, and thank you for listening.
1: It's uh, second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock, here at Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and all around the world at WERU.org. It's time for Boat Talk. Boat Talk's a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. Uh, Mike is running a little late this morning. He'll be in in a few minutes, but I, I'm Alan Sprague, and I sir am completely here and also Gladly joined today by uh, a voice you've probably heard on uh, Boat Talk before, Michael War of Stonington. Michael is here in person, as you can probably see by your uh, visual radio. And uh, Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval, as I say, and it's a show that uh, tries to prove that boat builders uh, have a good sense of humor because they're good at ribbing. And... We have a variety of things to talk about today, and, and Michael is certainly welcome to chime in at any point. Um, Mike, Mike Joyce and I um, were just this last weekend down at the Maine Boats Homes and Harbors In-Water Boat Show. It's a great show. Have you ever been to that show, Michael?
0: Try to get there every year. It's become yep. an annual ritual for us. And, uh, yeah, it's an outstanding production.
1: Yes, it's uh, actually the only in-water boat show in the state of Maine, which uh, surprises me, as many boats as we have here. But uh, it's a good one. There were some very nice classic yachts there this year that I think you would have particularly enjoyed. But Mike and I are the co-hosts or the co mcs of the Boatyard Dog Trails that happen on, on Sunday morning. That's always fun, being uh, animal lovers that we are. But after uh, the dog, Boatyard Dog uh, trials, I took a walk around and came to one of the exhibitors there, exhibitors called Sea Bags. They make um, canvas totes from uh, old sails and dodgers. And so I asked them, I says, uh, I have an old dodger in the back of my truck. You want it? Oh, sure. They said, and I says, you know, I've been looking for a place to recycle old sails. I really hate taken those big things to the dump that are made from uh, plastic that's probably not going to break down for eons and or, or maybe get shredded and ended up back in the water and causing more damage. So I'm really glad to find a place where you can finally recycle dodgers and, and sails. So uh, I put a, a, a link on the boat dot org website to seabags.com for anybody who is interested in finding out how they have uh if they have any uh, any old any old rags that they'd like to recycle rather than just taking them
0: to the dump. I think uh, I was the lucky recipient of one of these uh, at a Christmas a couple of years ago from one of my customers and I have to say that you know I've toted around those canvas that we've all used for years, but this thing is rugged. Uh, doesn't soak up water and get stuff inside uh, uh-huh. wet. And um, yeah, I think it's an outstanding use for uh, for things that just don't go away very easily, as you say. Yeah,
1: you know, so. yeah. And not only do they recycle this this material, they also support uh, sailing programs down in the Portland area for uh, getting kids out on the water. So. I think they're uh, definitely a worthwhile organization. That's seabags.com, for anybody who's interested in, in uh, sailing green. And while I was at the boat show also, I uh, stopped by the booth for Points East magazine. I'm sure Michael is familiar with po- Points East. It's it's commonly found monthly magazine here on the coast of Maine. comes from Massachusetts, I believe. Massachusetts or New Hampshire, they cover uh, New England sailing from Connecticut all the way up to... The esport and sometimes beyond. And while I was uh, pawing through the uh, this month's copy of uh, Points East magazine, I came across an article, um, guest perspective. It's called "From W.R. Cheney," and he talks about sailing on a 22-foot cat boat. And one comment uh, he's while he is out sailing, uh, he uh, just purchased a whole bunch of. Uh, Oysters from a friend of his named Adam, and I'll quote now. Adam and I closed the deal on 100 of his finest that afternoon, and he threw a pair of lobsters in just to make things all the sweeter. Penelope, that's the name of the boat. Penelope and I anchored in Ministers Cove just around from Pulpit Harbor. You probably know where that is. I do. Yep. That night, and settled in for an evening of lobster and chardonnay, Good blues music came from the Blue Hill radio station WERU. And this is in quotes, the best radio station in the world. So there you go. It's a unsolicited uh commentary from a, from one sailor who is out there and also likes WERU. And we are in the midst of our fundraiser right now, too. We have a number to uh for people who would like to call in to make a pledge, it's one-eight hundred-six four three 6273, if you'd like to contribute to this show. And if you're listening as a podcast uh, some other time, the the offer still goes 1 800 643 6273, or you can go online to weru.org and pledge that way.
2: And Mike is here. You know, in terms of things you really can't be late for, your radio show would be one of them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm hoping for a funeral in my case. I'm uh, I'm early this morning. I'm ramming down the road, and all of a sudden the tire goes flat, and I went, uh-oh, uh-oh not no. early anymore. <laughs> and the spare was low, and the, I had to bend the tire iron, but I got her, man, and uh, here we are. So yeah, You limped in, huh? Yes, I did. So, uh, like I say, can't be late for your own radio show, <laughs> I, but here we are this morning. I
0: thought that excuse was worn out years ago, <laughs> didn't you?
2: <laughs> I was some happy to hear you were coming to tell you the truth. I knew we'd be all right. So, But showed up anyway, and... and uh, you know, we will get uh, Marconi on the line in a little bit, but there's an uh, interview going on in the studio behind us here. They're yep. tying up a phone line, and yep. I guess you guys have discussed all that. Um,
1: right, right. We're going, yep. to be, we're going to be calling uh, uh, another fellow down in New Jersey, the name of Josh Kohut, who is at Rutgers University. And uh, you missed last month's show where we talked about Slocum gliders. I did, yeah. yeah but Josh is, as uh, part of Rutgers University, He's going to be sending a glider around the world. That's, that's kind of cool, of, that's kind of cool, yeah, I imagine that, so yeah. we'll be talking with him probably in about oh ten minutes or so.
2: Well, we got plenty to do, and uh as you said, we were down to the uh, main boat homes and harbor's uh big boat show this last weekend, and Sunday, boy, the sun was glistening and just gleaming, the, the flags were flapping, the tops of my
1: ears are sore right now, these headphones are not real good. <laughs> It was a
2: a beautiful day. It was a beautiful day, yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. some wet dogs, some happy people. And uh, got to talk to a bunch of interesting people while we were down there. And uh, made some new friends from Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, the Covey Island boat people. And uh, they were down there with Ben Ellison's boat. Yeah, I saw
1: that. I said Gizmo, I says, "What? What this is this is uh, the boat that's uh, made famous in Wooden Boat Magazine at the very end." Uh, Main Boats Homes and Harbors. You got to get your yeah, get your logos right. right there, Whoops.
2: buddy. And uh, yeah, slight slight uh, corporate difference there, but anyway, um yeah, Ben Allison writes the uh, Gun Colon with Gizmo uh call him in the back of main boats homes and harbors magazine and i uh, always thought he was running around in a little uh, center console boat but no he's got this nice uh yeah it's a duffy and duffy finished off by the Covey island people looks very comfortable oh a very comfortable boat and you talk about a fellow that's got some electronic gear in the cockpit there
1: <laughs> man
2: as you says looks like the inside of an airplane it instead does. of a boat there with all the instrumentation yeah so um uh talked with those fellows and they are interestingly enough also have um, put together something called the Lunenburg uh, Shipyard Alliance, and they are in the uh, process right now of rebuilding the Blue Nose, the historic uh, Canadian schooner Blue Nose. Right, yeah, for people who
1: don't know the Blue Nose, like, a little quick history, I guess it was back in probably the early 1800s, the Blue Nose 1 was a fishing boat,
0: a fishing uh, schooner. Late 1800s, late, actually. Okay. Late 1800s. 1900s, uh, 1900s. 1900s. okay. Yeah. 144-foot schooner. Yeah, Built by Smith and & Rule and designed by William Ruey. Really beautiful boat. Really outstanding. Yeah, And a
2: fast boat. And in those days, fast was everything. Well, nowadays, fast is everything, too. But back then, fast was really everything, and you didn't have a big motor. So so a uh, beautiful, fast-sailing fishing boat was an asset. And they had a uh, bunch of fishermen's races with the Gloucester people. And the uh, Blue Nose, you know, uh, took home the trophy. And, and the Canadians, a lot of bragging rights for a long time now. This boat that they are rebuilding right now was built by the Oland Beer Company in uh, Nova Scotia. We got Schooner Beer down there with the, uh, uh, you know, Blue Nose is on the label, the Schooner Beer. Well, they built this in 63 as kind of a promotional prop. And using and, old
1: barrel staves?
2: Well, you know, and that is the reputation of the Novies and the Newfies, that they don't use, uh, you know, really heavy-duty, uh, long-lived wood. They use what they have. That's what they have. Yeah, yeah and they'll uh, will build with birch and maple and red oak and stuff and fir. And, uh, you know, so this is probably the third or fourth, anyway, rebuild on the Blue Nose. They're getting ready to uh, launch it in a couple weeks there back in Lunenburg. And uh, we'll be talking to them at some point too.
0: Well, she was planked with pine when they built the this this replica, which is the second, you know, not the original, which was lost off of Haiti yep. years ago. But they planked her with pine when they built her at Smith and Rulins. And uh, I don't think the planking. I don't the think the planking, really think the
2: planking is all the issue either. They've replaced almost all of the framing oh, of yeah, the boat yeah. at one time or another. And, and nowadays, um, it's going to be mostly angelique. Uh-huh.
0: Which series doesn't upgrade
2: doesn't grow in Nova Scotia, and, and again, uh, very uh, rot resistant tropical wood that theoretically will still be there in 100 years, hard as a piece of smoke, um, if things go right, you know. But what will be the mission of the boat is the other thing, is an interesting uh, little question there about uh, you know, it's one thing to have a boat, but what's it do? What do you do with it? Um, that's what the beer people figured out after they built the thing back in '63, and actually gave it to the province of Nova Scotia, who then figured out they didn't know how to maintain a big old schooner. So
0: it's a lot of work.
2: Yes, it is. It's interesting. Uh, you ever worked with angelique?
1: I don't think I have. Purple heart. Yeah, it's probably similar. Very, very stiff
2: wood. Yeah. You, you work with it, Michael? Yeah, I have. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty hard. It looks
0: like teak, but it doesn't work like teak. No, it's it's real stiff. Yeah.
2: Is it? has ex- got to be expensive, like teak as well.
0: It's not as expensive as nothing's teak. As expensive nothing's as teak, expensive but... as teak. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have I'm I'm building the back seat on a lobster boat right now, and I have three planks. Okay, they're all about an inch thick, uh, just over an inch thick. Um, they're eight, nine, and ten inches wide, and not one of them's more than uh, you know nine nine to ten and a half feet. Okay, three three planks. a square foot for that beautiful teak there. Yeah. And then when you skin it down, you realize, oh, well, the grain's kind of crazy, too. It's not, you know. And you realize that
0: you've got $200 worth of shavings on your shoulder. My
2: God, am I nervous about cutting that stuff up? And the plan has changed since I ordered it, so I'm having to kind of, uh, you know, jive a little bit here. And am I a little nervous about cutting that stuff up? And oh, Oh, man.
0: And and you save the tiniest scraps because you start to look at bungs. Well, I mean, they're a buck a (laughs) piece.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put at it. And, again, not what you call local wood, but, uh, you know, classic yacht joinery is, is what you do. So that's what we're doing.
0: But, you know, before you leave the Blue Nose, I just want to give all the uh, American schooner fans out there, uh, you know, they, should, they, they shouldn't they should be ashamed because the Blue Nose was 144 feet long. And the average American schooner, the, the boats that raced against her, like Elsie and the Gertrude Del Tibo, were 100-footers. They were they were a lot smaller boats, mm-hmm. and actually the LC did beat her once. But uh, y- yeah, when we tried building bigger boats, Angus Walters, the skipper of the Blue Nose, he found a reason not to race. Yeah. and uh, it's all well documented. But the- it's a fine looking boat, and they have a fine tradition of great. Great sailors and great schooners. Yeah, and
2: discussion. that boat, uh, the Blue Nose, of course, is on their dime, so it's become a national icon. It's an icon. And is. that is part of the problem of having it had be owned by the government and then rebuilt three or four times. It's an icon. You just can't kind of You can't discard it. You now. can't discard it yeah. and you gotta keep it going. But again, it's a difficult icon to to own as a you know, um, also in Lunenburg, there is the uh, Fisheries Museum of the Atlantic, and they have a schooner uh, tied to their dock full-time there. I'm trying to think which one it is. Teresa Connor, maybe? I forget which one it is, but they're replacing the mast in it this spring when I was in Lunenburg delivering a boat. And, uh, again, it does that boat no favors to sit tied to that museum dock. It's a pretty hard gig for the boat, really. Yeah. In some ways, better off fishing because people will fix stuff. When and, it,
0: you you know. get salt water thrown on it, which is the best thing.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I haven't been there for a while. It's one of my favorite places. It is uh, a pretty spot, L- L- Lunenburg.
2: Well, highly recommended. We'll be talking to these Covey Island people uh, in the future. I can
1: see it coming. Well, speaking of talking, I haven't mentioned yet that this is a call in show, so I'll give out the phone number for anybody who would like to join the conversation. It's 1 866 625 9378.
2: Run into, uh, been offshore a little bit, and every time we've been offshore in the Gulf of Maine, we've crossed a cruise ship this season. And uh, they're quite a sight out there, especially in the evening, because they're all lit up like a big old city coming at you. Don't they look like, yeah, I've seen them down there, You know, you talk about uh, lights out on the water at night, you see a cruise ship coming to you, boy, that's quite something.
1: Yeah, you think about the amount of consumption that's going on just to keep all those lights lit for 24
2: hours. Well, mind you, I'm on this uh, 1750s rebuilt boat with no hot food, okay, and I'm looking over (laughs) at the cruise ship and all those lights going, wow, that looks good. I bet you could get a hot cup of tea somewhere on that boat. <laughs> so, anyway, we, uh, oh, uh, particularly going back to Gloucester now, when we brought the uh, uh, boat down, the uh, uh, story there, Lewis H. Story from Gloucester to uh, uh, MDI for recreating uh, the voyage of Abraham Soames back in 1763, it took us 43 hours to come east against an east wind. And when we went back, we had an east wind blowing us uh, back to Gloucester, Massachusetts. Uh, and we made it in 31 hours, making as much as eight knots through the night there. Uh, that thing was, boy, that was one happy surfing boat. And uh, But we crossed a uh, fishing dragger and a uh, cruise ship all at all at sunset, all within a half a mile of each other, all going different courses there, and it was quite a little sight. And I uh, think we certainly got our picture taken, but cruise ships are in the news here. And uh, it says that uh, cruise ship industry is on the rise in the state of Maine, and this year they're talking about $46 million dollars in indirect spending in – I'm sorry, not indirect spending, in direct spending in the state of Maine, $46 million bucks um, for – The people who come to town, the people who have to take care of the boats, the people who uh, service everything and provision and and, uh, all that, you know. So uh, cruise ships, you're seeing much more of them around, and and it's an interesting way to see the— It is an interesting way, and in your uh, indirect spending category,
1: probably a lot of these people after seeing Maine for the first time on these cruise ships will want to come back. That's
2: part of the point is building those connections. Yes, yep. it is, and uh, getting them on back onto a smaller boat, maybe where they can experience main <laughs> waters a little, you know, a uh, little more intimately and, and realistically. Let's say because you come you come down to Bar Harbor and you see one of them cruise ships out in the harbor, and it just out of scale. Oh boy, with the lobster boats, let alone the little islands and and all the other people run around. You know, some of those things just t- right out of scale. They are
0: incredibly large. Aren't yep. they?
2: And they look kind of funny, top heavy there and everything, but you know,
0: they do. They, I'm not sure I'd really like to be aboard. Would to tell you the truth? Is This boat going to fall over. It is.
2: <laughs> nice well, way to travel is I've uh, a lot of friends have gone lately, and and you ask them you take a uh, and I forget the different brands there, Carnival Cruise Line, and uh, I forget which one it is, but there's one of them where First everybody S- I think, every, uh, but there's one cruise line where everybody goes, we well, we'll take them, and the other guys, but. Uh, a lot of people that I've talked to have had great experiences on, on cruises, so yeah. uh, we certainly wouldn't be putting it down here at Boat Talk. More people we run into at the main boat homes and harbor shows, there's US Harbors, USharbors.com. They're out of Rockland, Maine. They're local people. I have to talk to them, too. If you uh, log on to USharbors.com, you can get uh, tide charts, uh, weather information, and local knowledge for anywhere basically, in the U.S. waters that you want to type in. You can get a weather report update and uh, bell buoy readings from here, there, or anywhere, the tide chart, uh, you know, and uh, directories to uh, businesses on the coast, uh, harbor guides for 1,200 harbors, usharbors.com. We talked to them down to the uh, boat show, too. Nice people we hope to talk to later on. So what else we got? Uh, I saw one more really cool thing here. We've been talking about this for a long time. When is the first lobster boat going to come along that's a multi-hull? And uh, darned if they haven't made one. In uh, coordination with the Penobscot East Alliance and Maine Maritime Academy, and a professor named uh, Oh uh, Doug Reed, a naval architect and professor at Maine Maritime Academy, he has uh, designed and successfully tested this uh, trimaran hull. And if you look at it, it looks to me like a... uh, we call that a, a tri hull, a tunnel hull,
0: exactly. Kind not of a whaler. Really
2: yeah, it's it doesn't look like a, a bug sitting on the water. It looks yeah. more like a whaler, and the whaler again um, is uh, not not strictly speaking a trimaran or even a tri hull, but uh, they had a tri hull kind of whalerish boat. Um, I right. forget who made those, but that's what it looks like. This there. looks like
0: a lot more wetted surface than a regular multi hull would have.
2: Yes, but a lot less than a regular lobster boat, and they're talking the savings come out to about 25% in uh, fuel efficiency, but they can't drive it over that.
0: Well, when I was in the Shetland Islands two years ago, I saw a catamaran lobster boat about 36 feet long, and it was the real thing. I mean, it was a motor catamaran, really beamy, and I thought this looks like a great idea to me, easily driven, incredibly stable. Um, you can put a small electric or hydraulic motor in each hull and run it off one diesel engine, a small diesel engine. Great maneuverability. It's not going to be fast, but lobster traps don't move that fast anyway. You don't really need to get going really quickly. Your uh,
2: mono hull lobster boat has been getting wider and wider all the time. They need to Haven't carry they, that
0: though? load. Yes, <laughs> and
2: and this works out perfectly. Also. Um, when you have propellers widely uh, separated in the two hulls at the back, you have fantastic. You can spin in a circle. That's Put right. Put one ahead, one Way back. back. Just spin circles. It's, Sit there all day laughing. Write and laugh your own lens. Yeah. Laugh at yourself, you know. Yeah. And uh, But the uh, big thing would be fuel savings. Now, this year, the story with Maine Lobsters is that um, the price is just... Great for people that like to eat them. Had some this <laughs> weekend.
0: <laughs> not for people that like to sell them. So. People that
2: like to sell them, the price is not so good. And it's uh, basically um, also the catch is uh, very substantial, but there's it's not that there's a glut and there's a low price. There seems to be a systemic low price now. Hmm. And, of course, the price of gas hasn't gone down. Bait is getting harder and harder to find all the time and more expensive. And, of course, we come back to the aquaculture uh, theory of that uh, the bait that we buy and put into the water is really fish farming those lobsters because um, an underwater video of a lobster trap will show you that the lobster trap hits the bottom, lobsters attack it and they enter and exit at will, they fight each other over the bait yes, pretty much freely, 96% of lobsters are said to be able to enter and exit this trap at will call that a trap, will (laughs) 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 you? and uh, so anyway, um in a, in essence, they're being fed that that bait, and then when the fellow comes back and picks the trap up, he it's the who he's got in the men's room stall at the yeah, time, you know. There. Yeah.
1: Um, back to your question of the low price. Uh, the main uh, was the fisheries commissioner Kelleher, uh is quoted here in this month's Fisherman's Voice, rather rudely saying his reason for why the prices are so low. He's talking to the fishermen in general, is saying, "quote." You've proven that you'll fish for $2 a pound. That's kind of rude, isn't it? Well, them are kind of fighting
0: words. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, he works for Governor Paula Page, so yeah. he can say anything he wants, apparently. Um, the fishermen were in the uh, news this. Uh, I was stunned to hear the local news last night. There's a new fishermen's uh, lobster, lobstering union on the coast of Maine. And right. they, if you see. Um, lobstermen at a meeting wearing red shirts t-shirts that's right they are new the lobstering main lobstering union and they are an offshoot of better get this right here the international association of machinists and aerospace workers unlikely that's an
0: unlikely (laughs) a little bit combination yeah
2: but here's a tremendous quote that uh, again from the um, uh, fisher fisherman's voice here it says uh, we have gotten used to Coming in and throwing crates on the dock and putting the boat on the mooring and going home, it's time we get more involved, says Mike Dessot, secretary and treasurer of the DELA. And uh, we should also mention that it says in the same article that the uh, MLA, the Maine Lobstermen's Association, they've been the uh, traditional Maine uh, uh, Lobstermen's uh, you know, affinity group there. They're not wild about the new union, but they can maybe see why it's time to do something.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand what they intend to use for leverage. It, it, it's, unless you can get everyone on, in your court. How how are you going to pressure the the buyers uh, to? To up the price. Uh, You you know, it it seems an odd concept to me for a bunch of people who are really all independents. I mean, main lobstermen are, by definition, just all independent characters.
1: Trying to herd cats, as it were. Mm. The trend
0: certainly nowadays is away from unionism,
2: and and unionism has been, uh, you know, tired and feathered with kind of a...
0: It has, regrettably, yes. Yeah. But uh, it certainly had its place. I just don't see how it's going to get applied to, um, I, I mean, it seems to me it's been a, a supply and demand thing in past years. I don't know about this year. I haven't really been up on, I've been away, so I haven't been up on even what's happening with lobster prices.
2: Well, and I've been uh, lucky to be around a couple places where people have bought so many lobsters because the price is so good. It's like, boy, you got to come over and help us eat some of these things, you know. Right. And, and in a way, there is a glut because you can uh, get a good charge of lobsters for a fair price yeah. uh, this season.
0: Well, I want to change the subject really quickly here. For, oh, geez, please. I uh, um, I have, haven't been out on the water much this year, but I have been vicariously enjoying uh, the trials, tribulations, and travels of a friend of mine, Dr. John Valentine. For anybody who listens to the show regularly, I I called in a couple of times last year and uh, talked about my, my travels, my high latitudes transatlantic trip with this Australian doctor. Uh, and... Um, After I left the boat in Oban, Scotland in in 2011, uh, last year he traveled up to Svalbard and um, northern Norway and came back down the coast, left the boat in Tromso, and uh, I was unfortunately not able to join him because of my mother's untimely demise, but – This year, he has gone down back into the Baltic, and he's entered a waterway at Archangel Russia. And I believe he's the third yachtsman in history to ever make this trip. And he's on a 2,000-mile north-to-south saga through an interconnected waterway of rivers, lakes, canals, locks... Um, A lot of it's the Volga River, but he will come out. He's just approaching Ukraine now, and he will come out in the Black Sea and make his way across Istanbul. And for anybody who wants to investigate this, I would... So wait now, he's getting
2: to Turkey... By going through northern Russia. Yes. Entering in northern Russia and coming out through Turkey.
0: And he's got a website and a blog now. Wow. He told the Russians to get a three-month visa that he was writing the history of the Vikings' travels through Russia back in God knows what century it was. Um, And uh, so www.tainui.org. And uh, it's a fascinating. He tells the whole story of his eight-year trip, leaving leaving Australia back in two thousand five, and trips down to the sub-Antarctic islands of New Zealand, and then a forty-three-day passage through the Southern Ocean to Cape Horn. Two years in the Patagonian canals, and but he's he's. he's Tells him all about his crew, his travels, There's a GPS track for his trip huh. down through the former Soviet Union. And he's just about to leave the boat. He has to get off the boat for a short time, reapply for a visa so he can claim it back again. Wow. But uh, for any armchair sailors or, in- or guys interested in a fascinating character and a fascinating trip, I highly recommend yeah. this. Yeah.
2: My thoughts go right away to the difficulties of doing that and and, uh, provisioning, let alone uh, fixing broken stuff on that route. You know, you're not a lot of yacht dealers on the Volga River probably, you know. (laughs) Um, But then uh, I leap to it, and I think that uh, this must be a very remarkable man because it all comes down to – to the captain, uh, the the sailor himself, to manage the people and, and the expedition. He is um, a remarkable man. Yeah, the boat, I mean, any boat will do that, strictly speaking, but right. any person couldn't pull that
0: off. No, and he has to, the, the Russian law demanded that he have a fluent Russian speaker aboard. Oh, boy. And he he charmed a, a, a lady named Maxine. I yeah, believe she's, what a good idea. I believe
2: she's Dutch.
0: <laughs> uh, last year, he met her in Norway and presented this whole idea to her before it even obtain the visa and so she's done the trip with brought her boyfriend aboard too and uh, but she's done the trip all the way down with with him and satisfied that legal requirement
1: this is more story fodder too
0: yes exactly And, and, and believe me there are lots of blogs he calls her little miss perfect (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <On> the, <laughs> she's somewhat critical, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Just the fact that
2: she's the, uh, again, that again—that there's a dreamer that you can scoop up into your dream, okay, and that you can keep her on the dream. Uh, and Little Miss Perfect, I'm telling you what—that's got to be some and serious. And as we all know,
0: boats are small.
2: Got to be yeah. some serious people skills going on there, because again, you can be a prisoner of the boat, let alone a prisoner of the voyage. And
0: yeah, and that's what's, not what's the all, website
2: again, Michael. Always a good
0: thing. I. it's a New Zealand aboriginal word for something I'm not quite sure Tainui.org Perfect. and, and you'll, you'll catch his sense of humor and he's an extremely intelligent erudite man And he, so he sails six months and goes back and doctors, he does locum work back in Australia and, uh, for six months and makes some money and then he goes sails for six mm. months he just goes back and forth and leaves the boat
2: how'd you run into him?
0: I bumped into him at Billings I was uh, I was down it's one uh, of them just,
2: waterfront, you know. Hey, how launched, you doing?
0: Just launched one of my customers' boats, and I noticed this very serious-looking offshore cutter um, a couple of slips away. And he ambles around and looks over and, um, "Good day, mate," he said. "It's a fine-looking boat you got there." He got a lovely an accent, and uh, <laughs> I said, "Well, thank you, but it's not mine. It's my customer's." So he he said, "Well, it's almost lunchtime. Why don't you come over for a hot starter?" <laughs> So I said, okay, so not knowing what a hat starter <laughs> yeah, <right>. was
1: <laughs> I think we can guess. And it
0: was Friday, I ambled over uh in a few minutes later and I was treated to a, a hat stata or three or four. I don't really remember. Yeah, right. Turned out to be Gosling's, black rum, sure. roses, lime juice, uh, and a slug of water. How could you go wrong?
2: Traditional naval brew, yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so we became firm friends, and uh, I wanted to sail to Nova Scotia with him that year, but I was uh, in island parlance, drove right up. Yeah. And uh, so I couldn't get away, and so he invited me for the following year, and that's how I, that's how I got on board. Drove up to Bedeck, Nova Scotia, and got, he and I took off. Just the two of us. Now, I look at this
2: radio station as a great people connector, this boat talk show certainly, but um, you know a boat in general can be a great people connector.
0: They or, are. as we say, it can be an insulator as well. It can. It, it can. can go either way that way and, uh, you know. But it's a very interesting way to enter a place, I've found, in my travels. When you come to a town or a country, people, oh, yes. you know, you get off an airplane, you're just herded off like a load of cattle, and, right. and that's it. You know, you just meld in with the crowd. But when you come somewhere on a boat, people look at you and talk to you, and it's different. It's a great feeling, actually. I really, really like that about long-distance cruising. It's a wonderful way to approach a new culture, a new country, and new people.
2: We got back to uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts on Louis H. Story there, and we'd had a ripping trip. Nobody expected us for another day, basically, you know, and, and we're in the harbor uh, first thing in the morning uh, for lunchtime there, and everybody got a dead cell phone, and uh, we haven't got a dinghy. and. Uh, you know, uh, so I'm thinking we're not going anywhere fast. And in, in truth, everybody's all made arrangements. And there's a rent car waiting, and we've got to get off the boat in about two minutes, okay? <laughs> and uh, so we go from from uh, that to ashore in a just uh, absolutely gaggle of, of tourists, you know, standing on the sidewalk with a gaggle of tourists surrounded by un- half-packed sea bags going, where are we? What just Culture happened? shock, Who right? are these people, you know? <laughs> it, didn't feel, uh, just, yeah, it didn't feel right at all. I guess there were cameras there too, right, Mike? The uh, Lewis H. Story thing was uh, heavily photographed uh, while it was uh, down east in Maine here, and also at um, uh, Cape Ann Television, which is the local community uh, uh, television down there. I haven't Googled it yet, but I bet you can find some down there. Mm-hmm. The Gloucester Times covered this. It's a uh, this boat makes friends uh, and attracts uh, attention everywhere it goes. Um, don't know if I told this one yet on Boat Talk, but. Uh, we're headed uh you know we out around uh, Frenchboro Long Island there and we're going to point her right pretty much for Cape Ann we got the wind behind us yahoo let's uh set her and go you know and uh we're you know, well outside of Idaho, and here comes an offshore lobster boat and Those boys don't pay much attention to the yacht zipping by, okay they got business out there and and we watch them there doing the traps, and all of a sudden they're uh, seem to be coming our way at a pretty good clip and uh, They come over by us and they pull up, and those three boys are standing jumping up and down, mind you, waving at us, jumping up and down, waving at us like we're the best float in the parade they've ever seen, you know, and and they've never seen a bald-headed Chewbacca schooner from the 1750s cross over in front of them there. There are so, many around, aren't they? So they had to come look at old Louis H. Story there, and again, she she engenders some uh, respect and affection there. They were so. wondering if they went through some sort of time zone. Yep, yeah, and... Uh, so the uh, other good thing, and we hope to get uh, Marconi on the phone uh, before too long here, but we've got phone issues, we're yeah, still told. Uh, we don't have an open line at the present have, time. The phones are tied up right now, so if you yeah, are trying s- to call, that explains
1: why we're not answering. There's the a business
2: happened. going on in the other studio here just south of us. But anyway, um, yeah, she engenders a lot of uh, interest, and um, uh, a very interesting thing that happened was that the... Essex uh, Shipbuilding Museum, which owns the boat, uses it as a sailing ambassador, and they do not take paying passengers on the boat. The boat is not licensed and does not have a licensed captain that will take six people out for $10 a head, okay? If you want to go for a sail on the boat, it is for members of the museum. So what you do is you buy a $35 museum membership. Now you can go anytime you want. Okay. And in, in essence, they're selling $35 tickets to, to the boat there. So, so, yeah,
0: makes sense.
2: But they don't use it all that much. And, and uh, I would think that, frankly, there's a bunch of people who um, take care of her and sail her around. And, you know, they. Uh, and it sits on the moor in Gloucester quite a bit. So the Essex people have been thinking we haven't used our boat enough. Now, while it was down here, there were probably, I believe, something like 350 school kids that went out on that boat in the week and a half, two weeks that it was here. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Essex people went, wow, where'd you get all them kids, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the MDI people went, well, we just took them. And, again, that's not quite the real world either with naval regulations being what they are and insurance and all that. But but the idea is that now the Essex people want to use their boat more and different. And the NBI people are looking going, we might like to have one of those. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the way to get one would be you'd have to build it. To build one. Yes, and you'd have to get the kids to build it, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't be difficult in this part of the world.
2: No, you wouldn't think. And the idea would be to assemble a, a team of uh, very talented people and and uh, fight off everybody else who wanted to get involved and leave space for uh, volunteers who want to build the thing, hopefully right out in public in the middle of the road there and... And uh, get the history all all humming for, for the kids in particular. Yeah. So then that kid will show up on Boat Talk 20 years later and we'll ask him the question. We'll say, what happened to you when you was a kid messed <laughs> you all up about boats? And <laughs> they'll say, geez, I built this old schooner when I was a kid and then we sailed around. I ain't been right ever since, you know. So that, And that's what you hope. So, yeah. Yeah. And the kids like my story. <laughs> and get the kids out of their devices. Uh, my friend uh, Dr. Bill Horner was sailing these kids around on Lewis H. Story. He'd... Uh, He'd say, now, which way is the wind coming from? And the kids would look around like, well, no, there's no instrument at the top of the mast. There's no dial here. There's no instrument at all on, on Lewis. Mm-hmm. So uh, you got to hold up your finger. you got to turn your cheek. Which way is the wind coming from? You know, pay <laughs> some attention to what's happening around you.
0: They probably picked up the you know? iPod. There is, yeah, up.
2: there is an app for that. <laughs> of course there is. <laughs> of course there is. And if there wasn't, we'd invent one, and, you know, that would be the way to go, too, apparently. So... Hey, we're doing boat talk this morning, and we're just chucking and jiving, kind of, and hanging out and chatting with ourselves, because we got our phones tied up at the present time. There's a uh, MPBN uh, interview going on in the next studio here, we're told,
0: so. So, uh, have you guys ever tried kayaking?
2: Love the kayaks.
0: Well, I, I haven't. My, my wife and son have, but I had a rather interesting experience, and one of the very few times I have been out on the water, other than delivering boats to my customers, but... Um, Peter Buxton my friend and neighbor just launched a brand new boat and by the way this is a guy who is a designer and builder, very talented Worden local, boat, very talented, dear Isle a boat builder, great eye, and he built a beautiful new thirty-eight footer for um, for a previous customer, and uh, so she was down at Billings, um, just getting ready for her official sea trial. They were doing the the engine check go through with one of Billings' employees, and I was down on board along with uh, um, a couple of other guys, a machinist, and. Uh, and Pete's stepfather, and we were chatting, waiting for um, the mechanic to get done with the with the checklist. When I, we had the radio on in the background, I heard what I thought was a mayday. And I said, Pete, did, did that sound like a mayday to you? He said, you did. So we turned it up, and sure enough, it was a mayday from a kayaker or some kayakers just around the other side to the west of Second Island, which is just around the backside of Billings. So... The Coast Guard were on the radio. No one else. Of course, the fishermen all listen. They don't listen to 16. They listen to whatever channel they like to Nine channel. 9 and huh? 13, not 88, 13. 88, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah. So anyway, cut a long story short, we um, we left the dock, and um, and we had a, an unauthorized sea trial. I have to say the boat was just outstanding. But what was very interesting is that a few minutes before, the the wind had switched from the west to the east the temperature dropped close to 20 degrees in a matter of minutes Uh literally went down from 80 to about 60 Mm -hmm. and uh we went out between second and andrews island and we saw a kayaker approaching second and there were five of them ashore in a cove and then we got a call on the radio and uh the guy said we were turning away, the guy who given the mayday. So he was another mile to the west of Second Island. The chop had really come up. It was lumpy out there. And they, one guy had swamped a kayak. He was a novice. Fortunately, the two guys that were with him were both seemed experienced. One of them was the team leader, and he was the only one with a radio. And um, they had him, they had the two kayaks rafted. And had him supported between them. And he was near hypothermic already. It was it was a very interesting lesson. They've got
2: him, but he's me. still in the water. He's still
0: in. He, yeah. He's mostly out, but his legs are still dangling in. And he's soaked. Yeah, He's only got a wetsuit on, and he's soaked. And, um, you know, we were close by. It was a really interesting mm. lesson to me. And I, I tell you, if I was to go anywhere in a kayak, anywhere, any distance away from shore i'd have a handheld waterproof radio that saved this guy's life he wasn't far away from being a late kayaker mm. and um and, and we got there in a hurry we weren't that far away a couple of miles in a pretty quick boat yeah you know and so interesting lesson
1: yeah we have uh, had kayakers on here before too and i'll tell you you maybe or, or have heard this uh what a lot of the uh, the big power boaters call kayakers Speed bumps.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of derisive, but they ought to be jealous because if you only had one boat, I think it would have to be a kayak. Mike is a big kayak. Yeah, he is. They literally go anywhere. You can cross an ocean, and you can go into a shallowest puddle as well. And, um, you know, uh, there are stories in the... uh, early um, oh, 10 hundreds or so of Eskimo people being uh, washed up on uh, western Europe uh, northern Scotland beaches and stuff and they'd be in their kayaks and still alive and uh, sometimes they find the kayak sometimes they find it with a live guy in it and that guy had fished his way across he'd get out, find a piece of ice, get out you know, hang out <laughs> Right. Um, well, as Michael's saying when you're kayaking it's uh,
1: you got to be aware of where you are and what you're doing yeah. and some experience helps too and the
0: water's cold here yeah. It's not like down in Buzzards Bay or, or Long Island Sound where it's 70-some-odd degrees. It's damn cold here. Even in the even in the height of the summer, it's cold.
2: It's about as nice as it gets right now, though, I've been noticing lately. Yeah?
0: Yeah. I really still like is. my boats with large lumps of lead on the bottom and sails on the top, I have to say.
2: I got into a little discussion this uh, summer about life jackets with some people who had to take me for a short boat ride, and I oh, did yeah. not come with a life jacket, and that uh. become quite an issue, and I maintained that if I fell out, I was going to be so embarrassed, I'd swim away anyway, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it occurred to me that I hadn't fallen out of a boat for a long time, and in fact, did I still float, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I haven't swum as much as I have for uh, the last few years, I don't like get water in my ear, so I'm, you know... And, again, when we're in the water, we're doing it wrong. But, uh, yeah, I did jump in the lake and figure out that I did still float. But, again, we got this kayaker. He's soaking wet. He's in the water. He's getting hypothermic. Just to get him out of the water is a big deal, let alone oh. to get him up out of the water in, in some kind of kayak. That's almost impossible. To get him up over the rail of a boat is extraordinarily difficult. Uh, we
0: were lucky we had a bunch of fairly big, strong guys aboard. Yep. Not easy yep. at all. No. No hauler, yeah, no. Hauler. Well, we did. Yeah, we had the hauler, but that it <laughs> wasn't really ready. No. Yeah. And I hate to say
2: this too, but um, we demonstrated this with our Lewis H. Story trip. Um, we we brought the boat uh, down east against an east wind. No, they wouldn't do that in the old days, okay? No. No. We couldn't get that boat going barely three knots in the night. And if you'd fall off a little bit and, and, uh, or come up and stuff that into a wave, you'd be going nothing in a heartbeat, okay? You'd be going from 3.1 knots to .6, .4, you know, and uh, they'd just stop uh, right up into the wave. So in the old days, they would wait their chance. They would wait till the wind goes around, okay? But nowadays, we're on vacation, Okay, I've got off from Sunday till next Sunday, and I'm going, Kaya, Tuesday is already spoken for. I don't care what the weather does. You're going. Yeah, we're doing what we're doing Tuesday because it's on the schedule. Yeah. And you can't really do that so much anymore. You know, uh, you got to, you got to, a little balance there would be what I'd I'd be suggesting. But with our lot, we don't even stop for blizzards in the wintertime. We ain't got time for that. Mm. Yeah, well, that's, uh,
1: you're one of the delivery guys where you're sort of, your choices aren't always your own to make.
2: No, nope. and uh, reminded again about uh, uh, boat deliveries being a pretty specialist gig, too. Uh, for a while there, they thought they would have some other people uh, just very eager to take Louis H. Story back to Massachusetts, but everybody find, everybody wants to do boat delivery until it's time to get on the boat and go, and then it's like, oh, I mm. the wife's dog has to go to the doctor next Tuesday, and I think i got to drive, so I can't make it. That reminds <laughs> you know? me, uh, uh, I had a... Uh,
1: a uh, person who contacted boat talk by our boat talk contact form after you did your talk about the uh, lewis h story trip and how uh, it was pretty cold and, and and nasty and it was the middle of the summer and this person said that he thought it would be interesting for us to on boat talk to sometime talk about um the history of clothing on, on the water especially cold weather clothing and so uh, I think we'll we'll try to get that together. I'm calling that out and out for anybody else who would like to um, add any information. Go to the boat talk dot contact form and uh, give us any information we have got. But I think it probably December or January would be a good time to do a show on uh, on that. We'll talk with the Maine Marine Maine Maritime Museum. Um, no, the Penobscot Marine Museum probably have some people there who are are good on. Oh, I can give you Capsule history. They were colder
2: and wetter than we were. We are. <laughs> you think they were colder, or tougher then, huh? Tougher as well. They worked harder. They were colder, wetter. Didn't have the old diesel uh, heater downstairs when they got off a watch either. <laughs> yeah. I've heard a lot of stories about gnarly hands from some of these guys who
1: have been out there for so long. Oh man,
2: they, they just lived a lot harder than we do. There's no no way around that, and uh, we should congratulate ourselves on that. Not not think that we're all kind of soft or anything. That's good for us, yeah. but. Um, Yeah, I would think um, if you could have. uh, One of my favorite things to wonder is about Captain Cook showing up to uh, Tahiti. And it turns out that a sailor who had a nail was almost king of that island. Could have a wife, could have, you know, a nail was uh, just about the most valuable thing you could have in Tahiti, all right? (laughs) What if you'd had a Ziploc bag or a Tupperware container to share with that woman, or, or, or like I said, a a pair of uh, you know Grundens or or actual good foul weather gear, oh, yeah, a yeah. polar card. fleece, okay? <laughs> if you what if you had the only piece of polar fleece in the world, you could be king now, couldn't you? You could basically. And again, we live a lot easier and better but in a should lot talk of ways.
1: With with uh some uh, offshore like Columbia or some some company like that about what yeah. they're, what they're doing now. There's Lots
2: of room for. Uh,
0: it's interesting. It has changed even in my lifetime. I mean, when I oh, yeah. started offshore sailing, it was about oiled wool sweaters, yeah, lots and, of socks, uh, and and woolen. And so- well, wool is good because even if it soaks up water, it still does keep you warm. It's it doesn't really soak it up that mm. that well. But but then you know the hot setup for long underwear was like duofold fold silk and and cotton. Now everybody's into polypropylene, which I'm not convinced. I took it on my cold weather trap. I'm not convinced is what you want. You're not worried about wicking moisture away from your your body sitting still in a boat. It's not like, you know, these guys are worried about it when they're skiing or exerting themselves Mm -hmm. and you're actually sweating. Mm -hmm. When you're sitting still in a boat being surrounded cold. by icebergs, you're not sweating, yeah, and uh, I kind of after taking the polypropylene, I kind of changed my mind. I, I think if That's I go to be cold again i'm I might revert back to the old stuff
2: well you you uh people with your English tradition of uh, being in the in the impossibly thick wool sweater with just <laughs> big drops of water glistening you know hanging everywhere, dripping basically you know yeah. you can see the picture there, yeah
0: uh, well, listen, you guys were talking about the Wyoming last time, and uh, I, I, was, I got to talking to my wife after that phone call, and I went and did a little research, and uh, uh, this is about Maine boat builders. So, the Wyoming was 329 foot long, six-masted schooner. Mm-hmm. They laid the keel in April, I think it was 1902, but in April, and they launched that vessel rigged in December. Now, wow. th- Think about this. Less than a year. Yeah. This is you, You're talking about a vessel that has six masts, six topmasts, six booms, not counting the jib boom, seven, six gaffs. It has 700 feet of railing that runs above the bulwarks. So it's all supported by turnings about every two feet. It's got hatches. It's got a huge bowsprit jib boom. I mean, this is an astonishing accomplishment. Hundreds, Something, hundreds of thousands of hours of labor. I, it must I, have to be. Wouldn't you love to have been able to see this yep. in action? I mean, they must have been. Crawling God knows how many people were, yes. people were crawling all yes. over this thing, in April to December launching, mm-hmm. floating, all caulked, and the planking is four inch thick longleaf yellow pine this isn't something where you say mike pick up the other end of this plank right. and help me hang it up here that's not happening <laughs> mm. you, you you know it's an astonishing feat i think
2: well Just, i was talking about this a little with the covey island people who are rebuilding the Blue Nose right now and um the uh, fact is that in uh, nova scotia when they were building the boat that uh timber from the boat Pretty much come from Nova Scotia, right? When they're in Waldenboro and building Wyoming or something, most of that timber comes from far to the south of here.
0: Yeah, and All came they cheat the Carolina. Yeah,
2: they would take uh, patterns into the woods in the Carolina and Georgia, and they would waste out most of the wood in the forest and yeah. bring out yune um, frames. Out of out of the woods there, and uh, you know, and then ship those back. So partly, a lot, some of that labor has already been pre done off of site, which is the key to efficiency, as you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the rigging as well, same way. Still so. an
0: amazing. They worked harder our, than we do I mean, man this is a boat planked inside and out you got to remember yeah it's got a three inch ceiling inside all those frames as well as the four inch planking outside
2: yeah and they had steam they had some power but they didn't have but the power tools then the advantages mm, that we have no not nothing hydraulics like that. no no oh my <laughs> god ain't we spoiled but again uh, you know um you think we'd be better at it too well we're coming up we're uh 45 odd minutes into boat talk here and it kind of looks like we may not get a phone line this morning. Does that seem I'm possible?
1: I'm afraid that's le- going to happen. Uh, it looks like uh, there's still... Doesn't seem way- to be
2: much action in the wheelhouse behind us here. And no,
0: no abuse for us. No. People
2: in the other studio south of us here are still chatting. So, well, And we regret not having Marconi on the phone this morning. I was going to talk to him about his... Uh, yeah. He's written a uh, three-volume uh, history of uh, basically... Um, the Union uh, Settlement and Development of the Union River Drainage, and it's called King Pine, Queen Spruce, and Jack Tar, <laughs> And the uh, three volumes uh, basically, uh, you know, run through the um, settlement of the place starting again, like Abraham Soames, right after the French and Indian Wars, when it became safe to come down here. So uh, before 1761, 1763, there was hardly anybody here, but afterwards it opened up and people started coming. And... Uh, so our friend Abraham Soames, being a barrel maker back in um, uh, Massachusetts, had made a couple of trips already down here. And he had spied the land. He'd hung out with the Indians. He drank rum with them. He'd even uh, got a uh, – he thought a deed to Greening's Island, although his buddy also got a deed. And his buddy's deed was on birch bark. His was just like, yeah, okay. You know? <laughs> and his buddy spent half as much rum as he did too and got, and got birch bark. But anyway, um, not that it mattered, but um, – Abraham um, did his reconnaissance, came back to this place a couple of times, and then when he brought his wife, the four daughters, and the two cows, um, and what I wanted to ask uh, Marconi was, um, you're sailing up to to Mount Desert on the deck of uh, that old uh, boat, Louis H. Story there, and you look at the rocky little mountains covered with spruce trees right down to the water, and you go, what was he thinking was going to take the wife, the girls, and the cows to? Okay. But in fact, he had spotted a grove of oak trees at the top of some sound and a pond that drained into the sound. Water power, oak trees. He's a barrel maker. There he's in business. He's ready to go. The cows will poop. The garden will come, you know. And the girls hopefully will find husbands as more people come along. And uh, there you have basically the history of, uh, uh, you know, the settlement right
1: there. I but, can't imagine that trip with two cows. I imagine the chances of cows getting seasick are
2: pretty good. I was thinking about that as, uh, you know, uh, you'd have to, I uh, think, lash them lash fore and aft.
0: <laughs> in, yeah. in the Azores, you know, which that archipelago is split into three groups that are about 100 miles apart, each group. And, and they ha- have a series of uh, sort of 30-foot open trading boats they use with little one-lunger diesels. And I saw... Cows transported on those back and forth between islands. And, uh, in fact, I saw one, not a cow, a bull, actually, get picked up rather unceremoniously by a sling out of the boat set on the dock and then he decided it was time to free the bull and uh, he created quite a bit of consternation (laughs) for a while. (laughs) It's
2: called losing your steering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's the uh, great line in the Stan Rogers song about the wreckers there and they've uh, come upon the wreck of the boat and one fellow says, what are you doing with a cow on a dory in such seas? And he says, well, I fancy sweet cream in my tea, son. A great, I
0: am a great Stan Rogers fan. Yeah. Actually, I saw Stan several times live. And uh, great. he was a great man. And his brother is a great singer, too. That he had a great song about the Blue Nose.
2: Yes. Yep. Her
0: picture on a dime yep. is one of the lines. Yep. Yeah. I've,
2: uh, uh, yeah, I've heard an old uh, song down on Fisherman's, Fisherman's Wharf. Fisherman's Wharf? Wharf, that's the name. Downtown Halifax, yeah. Yes,
0: sir. From yep. Fogarty's Cove, yep. the first album. Yep.
2: And, and Stan, of course, was a... Uh, singer of heroic ballads who uh, died tragically in an Air Canada uh, cockpit fire. It's right. And um, uh, they were on the ground in Cleveland. Yeah, He was in first class. He had an easy out, and he tried to help people. He tried he, to help people. And he uh, died.
0: 23 people, including Stan Dodd. I remember yeah. the day I heard the news. I was listening to WBUR out of, out of Boston. We were listening to their morning show at the old boatyard. We used to rent, a bunch of us, and... I remember being moved to tears. Actually, I'd seen the guy. He was an incredibly moving singer, a really dramatic guy, really an outstanding character.
2: Imagine spending your whole life singing brave songs, though, and then, then then you get your, then you get your moment, and like I say, uh, don't survive. He didn't make it. I wonder what he would have. And the question is, with our friend Magnus Johnson, who who, uh, passed on here, the are you um, uh, volunteer uh, disc jockey? Talk show fella and, and just artist uh, magnus 's art was trippy, okay, and so the question is magnus haven passed on what would he what kind of art would that turn into okay what kind of song could could stand right about that uh? and talk to magnus 's wife she says, well you're presuming he 'd come back as an artist and I went oh <laughs> <laughs> good one." So boat talk. we about talked our way through it doing I nothing had, here that we're supposed to do this last
1: item, which is actually sort of fits into the non-news category, except it's official now. The uh, Gulf of Maine Research Institute has uh, come out and said that the Gulf of Maine is really getting warmer. But what's interesting about this article? Um, it's in Fisherman's this month's Fisherman's Voice. Uh, Kathy Mills from the Gulf of Maine Research Institute says that the rate of warming has Increased dramatically. It's uh, they did a uh, a study of the rate over the last ninety years, and a study of the rate over the last nine years. In the last nine years, it's going up ten times faster than it has previously.
0: And this is altering. I, I was did you read the puffins are having a problem because the fish they were catching for food have left because of the water temperature, and what they're bringing home now is too big for the chicks to to digest. To, to eat. So the chicks are dying off at, huh. at a prodigious rate. And this is causing the loss of I puffin see. colonies.
1: I know a lot of people saying that they are finding emaciated puffins
2: just yep. floating around. And that is
0: what is happening. Mm. We
2: have to remember the ecological web. Uh, I was just reading something, they were talking about the decline of the uh, cod fishery. And again, when uh, Abraham Soames came uh, in 1763, lumber and cod were the two uh, things of trade. Lumber is not always valuable, but cod always was. Yeah. Okay? So the cod fell off uh, You know, even before the Civil War there. Well, did they catch them all? They weren't as good in those days as we were, but they had dammed up all the rivers and changed how the, the uh, uh, bait fish were coming and going in the Gulf of Maine. At the same time, they started catching all those fish and really, really altered the ecological web there and, and did in the fishery as much as catching them all.
0: Well, I hear the music. I want to thank you guys a lot for inviting okay. me along thank today. You Good to have you here. My pleasure.
1: Yeah, we need to apologize to anybody who tried to call up during this show. The phone lines were tied up, and unfortunately, it was not a call-in show. But give next m- month will
2: be. Give them a picture real fast, Alan, because it's the fundraising edition of Boat Talk too. That's right. Yes, one
1: 6273 is the way you can call up to help support community radio and shows like Boat Talk. There. send
0: these guys money. Covered. Thank you.
2: Support for Boat Talk made...